Hey! Welcome to World Gaming, the number seven show in the mountain right now. I don't know who those R6 shows are, but I'm pretty sure they're probably much more awesome than us at this point. They're probably about trees and bugs and the occasional snake that's hiding in the grass. That's hey guys, it. I'm Miko the Iron Gamer, and with me is Palo Saxel, the fluffy cloud of doom. And right now he's with his other cloud brethren, and we hey, have a one special of guest, coming in. John. John, tell us about yourself. Hi, uh, I'm John. I'm a, I'm a historian. I'm a writer. Uh, I'm also a, a gamer, at least... Uh, at least in my youth, well, can we say that now? I am. I'm kind of old. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, Do you still play? I still play. Yeah, except that my equipment's outdated, so uh, it's not as not as often as I'd want or as I'd used to. But yeah, uh, I'm still. I suppose I'm still a gamer, although I'm sort of virgin. Well, we're casual. all gamers. Yeah. We yeah. game different ways, but we're always a gamer. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, guys, here we're going to talk about something special. Uh, we brought in John because we want to talk about a special niche type of game. It's not something that's really a genre itself or anything, but it's the historical game. Now, when we're saying historical games, we're not talking about, you know, educational games, though I guess those would be the most historical, but no, we're not going that way. We're not about to bring up, you know, the, uh, was it, uh, Jumpstart, Kindergarten Jumpstart, uh, the geography uh, games, no, 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 and trivia are, games, no. No, we're not going, no, we're not going with But we no, might be not. touching, you know, uh, where in the world's Carmen San Diego. Do people know that this? Yes. Yeah, people uh, don't yes. know that this, right? Uh, uh yes. <laughs> I played and some more of these. recently things like Assassin's Creed, yeah. uh, the Civilization games, and Total War. Mm. Now, we kind of want to look at this in because, well, John's a big history buff. We want to know, these historical games are they they seem to cater to a very niche market and we want to find out what makes it a good thing for their market and what breaks it for them. Uh, so John, can you tell us a bit of your history on historical games? How long have you been playing them? Well I've been playing historical games for a long time. Uh I've started yeah, with Carmen San Diego, the very first version of Carmen San Diego. Uh and uh from then it was a series of RTS FPS games, uh, adventure games, or hack and slashers, uh, and uh, you're right. Uh, historical games are a niche. They span several genres. So, uh, what would make it a game a historical game? Uh, usually, it's uh, the backdrop. At least should be situated in some recognizable part of history, and the object of the game should be in some way or the other. To move within history, to move the events, to relive the events, even if you know there's a, there's a certain twist, like you're you're, uh, for example, you're trying to relive relive the the uh, try to relive D Day, but you're actually trying to find something amongst the German encampments, you know. But uh, so you're still reliving the setting. Uh, that's a historical game, uh, or. Uh, game wherein your object is to alter history or to perceive an alternate history other than the one that you're supposedly know or that is supposedly official. So, uh, these games, uh, these games span different genres, sometimes not even the same franchise. Like, uh, when you see Command and Conquer, Command and Conquer Red Alert, the first one can be considered a historical game. While the subsequent entries, probably not. They're more sci-fi. So, from Westwood, it was okay. Then, pass to was EA who got picked up? Uh, it was... what First, it was Westwood under EA. Then, just EA. 
Yeah, Westwood was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I remember uh, the first one, the first Command and Conquer Red Alert was alternate history. It was asking the question, what if Hitler was killed early before World War II could start? And its answer was that there would have been another world war, this time instigated by Stalin. And it's valid and it's, uh, it's fun from a history buff's perspective to try to relive uh, an alternate history wherein Hitler had not existed or Hitler had not been able to start World War II, but Stalin had. Uh, of course, there were still some fantastical elements like the you know, chronosphere. Like chronosphere and the Kane. Iron curtain. <laughs> yeah, the, Kane mainly. Kane being able to manipulate Stalin. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, after that, I mean, there are a whole slew. There are RPGs that are historical. Uh, and it's a, it's a bit of a fine line because many Western RPGs try to situate themselves in uh, what vaguely resembles medieval Europe. So that, that sort of borderline... Which is why sometimes I nitpick about the game mechanics because uh, you, you cannot, for example, be swinging a sword a certain way or or you have two different sets of armor that are two, two different eras appearing in the same in the same age. I mean, uh, this is just carelessness for me. You know? mm. But yeah, uh, Western RPGs often... Uh, Often walk that fine line of being a historical game, mainly because they still they still concentrate around a particular milieu, which is yeah, medieval Europe. You know, just add in some magic and a couple of dragons, and voila, you have your Western RPG or Game of Thrones. <coughs> oh yeah, Game of yeah. Thrones. Even Game of Thrones. Actually, Game of Thrones is interesting because it's not it's not uh, really it's really a stretch to call it fantasy because there's barely any magic. They're dragons. Yeah, they're dragons. Can but the CGI. Yeah, but they're, they're dragons. But when did they appear? They're White Walkers. What happened to them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we stopped caring. Yeah. Game of Thrones actually strikes me more as a uh, as historical fiction, like uh, hmm. or, historical fiction. Okay, yeah, I've never heard like, that term before. How so? No, no, not, no, no, not historical fiction in the same sense as say White Queen, which is a histor- uh, fictional retelling of. Uh, uh, the story of Elizabeth the first, nah, but it's historical. Well, it's, it's a story of sort of blend, because what it is is a retelling of the War of the Roses, except with more incest, more violence. So it's a weird genre. It's not fantasy per se, but it's uh, like a historical, historical fantasy. I guess historical. So you would call it alternate history either. No, because it does not use historical personas. Hmm. But it conceals them with other characters who are allegories for it. So it's really in a very gray area. It's uh, Technically, it's not really fantasy, except... I, I think the dragons are put there just so they can say, Oh, it's fantasy, because look, they're dragons. But yeah. the way the story is structured, the way they, the world works, it, it's, it's like a historical setting. Uh, when it comes to games, yeah, most Western RPGs sort of fall into the same trap. They're like medieval Europe, just add a dash of magic here and there. So actually going to that, do you think the trap is because they find it simpler and easier to work with, or the market for it is far bigger because, well, everyone wants to be a knight? Well, familiarity makes it easier to sell. Uh, hmm. From a marketing standpoint, it's easy to market a knight because we all know what it is, or we all have some idea what a knight is. Hmm. 
versus say you put them in a different world or different dimension and you create a different class of warrior and you have to explain what it is the samurai knight <laughs> or 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 the idea of making your player your player character not be someone like a knight something more like say a king or a bard or a peasant yeah but even even these things king bard peasant these are all medieval european terms or hmm. medieval european vocations hmm. uh mm, for example a uh, jedi prior to star wars he put up a game that had uh oh you could be a jedi what's a jedi Uh, okay, I mean, I get from okay. the yeah again yeah. from the marketing point of view, it does make sense where you mm-hmm. want something more familiar with people because mm-hmm. if they can be ready to it, they may not mm-hmm. touch your game. Mm-hmm. But I guess from the historical mindset, is there anything beyond like knights that you feel that might be interesting? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. in Japanese games, you do have the samurai games, mm-hmm. which of course are also whimsical at some points, but you do have more uh, understandable. I mean, Tenchu was a bit more acceptable, and I think even which one? Uh, That's a good there's another one's a fighting game. Uh, Bushido Blade Bushido Blade, yeah uh, well, well Because if you say, for example, Samurai We're, we're, we're still with Knights Except we're talking about the Japanese version mm-hmm. uh, So, because the thing about uh, games Especially most of the games that are consumed Is that the, the main type of conflict they indulge in it Must involve combat So Uh, when you want to use a historical th- uh, historical setting, you usually try to use a historical setting wherein there was a lot of combat or a lot of uh, military conflict. Uh, you, you, to go beyond the knights, well, Black Flag explored pirates. I think that was very well done. Mm. Uh, I enjoyed it as a pirate game more than as an Assassin's Creed game. Was mm-hmm. it pretty much a boat simulator at also? It, it's a pirate simulator. Uh, I played another one before, but Was it Sid Meier's Pirates? No, no, no. Uh, it was about... I forgot the title, but you got to choose whether or not you were going to be a confederate pirate or a blockade runner or a, or a union privateer set in the American Civil War. Oh, okay. Forgot the name of the game. It was, it was fun, but Assassin's Creed Black Flag sort of, for me, perfected the pirate game genre because... You could uh, walk around on land, fight using pirate weapons, and then, of course, the sea, you could sail, you could board, and it really felt like a, like a pirate's life, a pirate simulator. The only, the only unrealistic thing, but I'm not really complaining about all that much, is that the sailing felt like driving, you know, you're not... Oh, yeah, it felt very, very smooth. <laughs> yeah, you're not looking for wind, you're not adjusting to waves... Except for there's a storm, or you have to, yeah, yeah. But I'm not complaining because if they had gone all anal and you had to wait for wind, that, that must have, that would have been very difficult. So for historical games, even historical buffs, there's a level of realism they're willing to cut out. Yeah, it's not like people who are historical; like, it has to be everything correct. Yeah, there's a level of it. There's a balance, right? There's a balance between uh, historical verisimilitude and gameplay. Now, if your game is Historically exact, but it's unplayable. Then you can't say it's much. Oregon game. Trail. <laughs> uh, Oregon Trail was, I think, was playable. It, it knew what it wanted to be. You have died of dysentery. Yeah. Well, it has happened again. <laughs> And uh, but on the other hand, if you play, if you're making a historical game, 
and your gameplay sort of defies everything uh, that is true about that history. Like, uh, uh, this is just a minor one, but it could have been so much worse. Uh, like, the straight shooting uh, gunpowder pistols in Assassin's Creed 2, uh, which essentially broke the game because it made it so easy. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I saw, like, this is not... Because I played, actually, games that had, like, lots of flintlocks, uh, muskets, and even the newer, newer rough, rifled muskets. None of them were that accurate. Yeah, they were not accurate. They barely fired in a straight line. The reason why you had to volley the fires that you're gonna hope at least one something hits we'll the We'll fight you with statistics. <laughs> As these hundred men, these thirty are bound to hit you. <laughs> yeah, somebody's gonna drop somewhere. <laughs> we don't know where. We don't know when. But it shall happen. <laughs> yeah. Repeat process. Infinite cycle. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you're, you're gonna try to assassinate someone because. If the the arquebus was already inaccurate, imagine if the barrel was shorter. The, <laughs> the blunder bu- the blunderbuss <laughs> and even the yeah. Well, with the exception of the clockwork pistol, which was extremely difficult to make mm. and was only made in very few months by the French. So it was it's rare. The, it was a very rare piece. It took months to make. But it's a clockwork pistol, so you didn't need to have the match or anything. Yeah, it okay. worked simply because well, you pull the trigger, then the main housing spring would actually cut would bring the hammer down. Mm. But very expensive and only the musketeers carried those. Yeah, and the uh, barrels were not rifled. Nope. Uh, sometimes they barely fit. They're barely... Uh, you made your own ammo, for example. Oh, yeah. And oftentimes, you did not customize it as a barrel. You just... You had, sometimes you just had the, a mold and it just made pellets. You just stuffed them in the barrel and, sh- and then shot it. So it could end up anywhere. Yep. So as an assassin's weapon... It's kind of lousy, especially if you have to drop it in one shot or in one motion. It also makes a big bang. Yeah. So not the most suppressed thing. Mm. So so much for stealth. Yeah, it will not be stealthy. It'll burst your eardrums. But yeah, uh, with Assassin's Creed, uh, I could forgive it because that was the only thing that was really glaring. But if you keep abusing it, then uh, you you shatter the ability to spend disbelief and the immersion in the game, which is just as important as the gameplay. Hmm. Cannot immerse yourself in the game, then uh, you're taken out of the experience, and it feels mechanical. You might as well be playing Tetris. Hmm. Hmm. Well, also, when it comes to history, historical games, uh, what do you feel was one of the most interesting historical games you played? Uh, well, we you know the usual powerhouses: Total War, uh, the Paradox Interactive games. But one of the most interesting games I played is this indie game, uh, Mountain Blade. Okay, yeah, I've uh, seen that on Steam every, every now and then. Yeah, I actually, bo- I actually bought it. Um, it's you, it's not uh, historical in the sense that you're you're in a particular period of history. Although mm-hmm. the later versions had that, like uh, you you had a fight the Turks. Something uh, they had a, a DLC that was you fighting the Turks, but it was. Vaguely European uh, Middle Ages. Uh, they, they changed some of the names, but there, there are certain allegorical matches, like, oh, yeah, this is the Muslim leader, this is the Holy Roman Empire, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was interesting because you had to simulate the, the life of a knight errant. You hired yourself, uh, you hide yourself out to missions, mm-hmm. uh, you participate in tournaments, you Try to trade by buying cheaply in this place and selling it in another place. Okay. So it felt like 
like a medieval simulator. So I said, yeah, you get to camp okay. out. You had to form uh, your own little war band. Hmm. And it was the first game I played wherein they had a working mechanism for for the use of the lance. Because before, like for example, you play you played uh, you played uh, Oblivion. Yeah, you Oblivion's could not even fun. fight from the horse. There are mods not with mods. <laughs> yeah, there. Are, I never saw a mod that allowed you to fight melee from a horse. I only got so far as a mod that allowed you to shoot from a horse. Uh, and there were mods to fight melee from a horse, but yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, actually, I remember when the Imperials would come in, and then you know he goes with the whole "Stop, criminals, come." I'd stand by their horses. They go down the horse and jump up and take their horse. <laughs> yeah, because you had to step down from the horse to fight, or you had to run someone over. It was and fun. It's like he's coming down. Take the horse. No, they have taken the horse once again. Why are we not trained to fight off these? Yeah, I never. I, I I've heard rumors of a, a mod that allowed you to fight melee off a horse. Yeah, there were, and it was very uh, glitchy at yeah, best. But yeah, it was clunky too. I, I it was, worked. <laughs> Is yeah. it is it working better now, or they never really? No, got that I far? mean Skyrim. They already had a fighting mechanic for. No, I mean on, Obl- yeah. on Oblivion. Did they manage to fix it, or did it just stay that way? No, Skyrim came out, then they stopped uh, working on it. Lots yeah. of things when Skyrim came out, they moved the mods. But yeah. there's also one thing I want to know about uh, mod. Have you seen historical mods? Yes, yes. Uh, these also count as historical games. Like when you uh, when you attach a historical mod over over an existing game like uh like mm, let's take an example uh actually yeah like uh some of the DLCs of Mount of Mountain Blade where they put you in a more historical scenario or or uh some of those for example those old Warcraft missions were in there was an Agincourt map uh while it's a small historical experience when you play it you're playing sort of a historical game um, because you're trying to simulate a historical event, even if you know you have elves and orcs and all that. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. So games that are uh, historical mods are actually uh, a fairly useful way to experience historical games. But uh, what have you ever tried the game that claims to be historical or set in history and such? But when you tried it, it was so far from it, or just had those little aspects that oh yeah. This happened this time period, or this happened this time period, but it doesn't really say anything beyond that. They just happen to say, "Oh yeah, this you happen to be here this exact same time." Mm. Uh, I think, I think Time Cop. Time Cop. Okay, yeah. that's a okay. that's a game I've not heard in a long while. <laughs> yeah, I actually played it uh, on a real PC, and uh, it's just just some of the. So the mechanisms were weird, uh, and uh, well, granted, uh, you could bring different weapons at different time eras, but uh, for example, I don't think they understood how a blowgun works. <laughs> How's a blowgun work? You just keep blowing and bullets come out. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like a machine blowgun. <laughs> I remember games with that. <laughs> yeah. And, Why? Uh, the heck, Hitman was like that. Remember? I didn't really uh, play Hitman. Hitman, I think one of the Hitman games had a blowgun, mm. but the blowgun was not patched properly, so you could just keep firing out of it pretty quickly. Mm. Essentially, it's as fast as you could tap the mouse. So essentially, it's a blow machine gun. The funny thing was, you could see him load it normally, then he just fires as much as he can. Multiplication of darts. 
So for you, what's a key aspect of a historical game? Like what will make or break it? I mean, there are all these fine details you talk about, but you said things can be overlooked. But what's like the key thing to make a historical game work? Uh, the key, I think, is to strike that balance between uh, immersion and gameplay. Uh, you have to feel like you're in the time period. You cannot feel like you could be easily taken out of it. Uh, but at the same time, your game has to be playable. You have to feel the visceral thrill of being there. Uh, like with, with Mountain Blade, uh, the first time I figured out how the lance works, because uh, even even Skyrim, when Skyrim finally figured out uh, mounted combat, the mountain combat it did was you swing your sword from the back of a horse. Or you swing your mace from the back of a horse. There wasn't a real, a me- really a mechanic for, uh, for the lance. And when I first felt, because it it, it could it could uh, if you play with the control pad, it could vibrate. Yeah. I think yeah. And when the first yeah. one, like it connected, and the guy went down. It's like wow, it felt awesome. And that that that, that experience, that momentary. Entering into the experience of a knight who manages to successfully ram his lance down his enemy's throat. That is what you're looking for in a historical game. Hmm. It's not just uh, the visceral thrill of killing someone. It's killing someone. It's it's uh, fighting successfully in a way that transports you to a different time and a different era. So, ba- so basically, in the case of Mountain Blade's way they implemented the lance, it was it worked in a way that a lance really should be should be used. Yeah, in fact, uh, I'm, I really hope uh, f- future game devs take notice because because um I've actually gone through a number of games where the lance is either treated as a spear, yeah. as well actually more like a either a pokey stick. A rapier or a mixture of a spear, rapier, or staff. Yeah, uh, the pokey stick is actually spear. You 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 thrust the lance forward. Yeah, it's and not the proper way to use a lance. You're just gonna yeah. break your arm trying to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, mountain blade naturally, in my opinion, I had the most the first functional lance system. Which reminds me of another historical game I absolutely hated when I played it. Uh, it was a mobile game about jousting, and it made. Okay, this sounds interesting. Okay. Last uh, time I played a game, Joust, it had ostriches, though. Yeah, this one, Flying ostriches. This one is a mobile game on, on Android. I think there's also an iOS version. I forgot I forgot the title, uh, Steal Something. Uh, uh, but how it played was that uh, you press something to charge your horse, and then you try to uh, you, you touch and drag the, a little cursor thing so to aim your lance. And I hated it because... While uh, the motion on the horse is realistic, you could barely move the thing. It, it was hard to. It was unresponsive, and and the way they they graded hits was unrealistic, and sometimes even subjective. So that sort of ruins it. Okay, so I'm uh, curious. Like, uh, is mo- uh, is mortality something very important to make the historical games work? Is you becoming something that's v- more well, not be really human, but more like. Uh, prone to injuries because I've seen dumb games like even Assassin's Creed where you can take multiple hits and still run away but I think Mountain, uh, Mountain Blade taking a hit is very well detrimental to you yeah yeah you take a lance hit you're dead <laughs> so is the mortality something very important for historical games in the yeah. realism side to it or is it something that can be overlooked like in Assassin's Creed which claims to be a very 
historical in the sense that it matches time periods with when time people were killed and such. But is mortality important? In that um, sense? It depends if it, what's, what balance in gameplay and immersion you're trying to achieve. Uh, I think it can be done very effectively. You create a sense of urgency. But at the same time, you have to balance it. Like, if you go down easy, your enemies have to go down easy too. Okay. Uh, like Bushido Blade. Yes. Uh, if one hit could uh, down you, could uh, incapacitate you or down you, then one hit could, should also be able to incapacitate or down your enemy. Uh, you cannot play with more. You cannot make you mortal and your enemies immortal. You um, can't be Dark Souls. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, you can create Somewhat. a sense of urgency, but yeah, uh, if. You can go down in one hit, but at the same, you cannot inflict the same mortality on your enemies. I think that's imbalanced. That'll take you out of the experience and just frustrate you. Hmm. Yeah, in my, if you're playing on an on a mobile platform, you just end up throwing it. So, the, how about uh, alternate reality games? Because there's one uh, alternate history games. There's one game particular I actually enjoy, which is Resistance: Fall of Man, which is, takes place in World War Two. Then aliens attack. Then essentially. It's you know World War Two era things versus the aliens and slowly things adapt to more modern ish weaponry. How do you feel about games like that? Is it more historical? Is it more just using it as a basic backdrop to it? Alternate alternate history games. Uh, in that case, it's sort of sci-fi history with uh, or speculative history. Yeah, that, that's fine. Uh, it's it's a good idea. Just on the immersion side, you have to make sure that. The process of the, the unfolding of events is plausible. If it's not plausible, then uh, again you're you're breaking immersion. So, for example, in your in the case of that game, um, you have aliens invading during World War Two. Then it the progression from man's development from World War Two, fighting each other to fighting with aliens again, using outdated weaponry, has to seem plausible. It has to seem like, yeah, this is what man would do. This is what would happen based on what what was true at that time. Okay, so do you say it's more character-driven, historical games, or story-driven? Uh, it depends. Uh, macro games like uh, the Grand Strategy games and RTS, uh, those by nature I think should be plot-driven. While more personal RPGs or first-person shooters, that, that can be character-driven. Like my favorite World War II... Uh, historical FPS was Road to Hill 38. Oh, that was a fun game. Yeah, because uh, why well, you were, you were sure that you still had that 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 uh, recharge that that uh, Wolverine. Yeah, the thing, regen thing. Regen. Thing. You've been hit in the chest. Don't worry. Give me five minutes. You five minutes. I'm back. But uh, unlike Call of Duty, you feel the mortality because. Uh, uh, take notice of Reds to Call of Duty 1 and 2, which actually had a health bar, not like Call of Duty 4 onwards, which had a regen system. Yeah. Yeah. So, back then, gamers had to find health kits. Yeah, you had, had to, to find the first aid kits. Had yeah. to find health kits, or you just had to make sure you didn't get hit anymore after when you were just on that little sliver of health. Or, uh, the funny part is sometimes it wasn't health kits, sometimes it was food, like chicken. Oh, yeah, the, you know, the turkey or the ham that's yeah. hidden somewhere. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to eat that. <laughs> Even so. if it comes from a rock. Yeah, I think we, we all... Yeah, we sometimes mock the region system as unrealistic, but it was light years ahead of... Uh, health bar. Oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. But uh, with uh, Road to Hill Thirty Eight, uh, there was the region thing, yes. But you could get hit more easily. You could go down with one hit more easily, 
and you had squad mates you actually cared about, so you didn't want to get them killed, or else when you hit the final mission, oh, it's just us left. <laughs> And the missions were fairly well developed. It felt like World War II missions. Yeah. All right. You you suppress. You lay down suppressing fire to get around, or else we're gonna get pinned here. Yeah. I love that game. Okay. But how do you feel about games like uh, they claim to be historical, but they're ultra modern games? Like they're great simulators, like Modern Warfare, Call of Duty, Call of Duty Four, Modern Warfare, Arma One, Two, and Three. Uh, these are shooters, but they claim to be more historically based because they try to base it off what's existing to make up their own history or situations would this be something that historical buffs enjoy or it's something that they just stay away from simply because it's modern oh naturally a historical buff can enjoy that because uh, it's speculative history as long as uh, the the base it proceeds from is fine like uh, uh, for example they claim to be based in modern weapons modern or syst- uh, near modern systems that's fine, as long as, for example, those are actual near modern or modern systems. Okay, so the perception that the historical gamers just love older storylines or older periods is pretty much not true. In my case, at least, it's not true. Uh, well, uh, me, uh, one question, Miko. Where did you get? Where did you get this? Uh, where did you get this notion from? Uh, historical gamers. Right? When you talk to people who like historical games, the, as uh, John said. Medieval always pops in. No one ever wants to talk about modern. And when I talk to some people who talk about modern games, they say, no, no, it's not a historical game. They say it's a realistic game. But for me, a realistic okay. game and a historical game are very different. I've seen fictional games like Skyrim can be made very realistic, but it's nowhere near a historical game. Okay. So I'm looking at this because Call of Duty has always tried to become something more historical in the sense yeah. that it tries to get points of actual points of history and make it speculative at best Yeah. if they can't yeah. hit some things. Because, yeah, okay. there, there is also a fine line because... If your point is simply to drop you in a modern battlefield and try to live in a modern battlefield, then that's that's a realistic game. I think I'm thinking more along the lines of Battlefield, Battlefield, Arma, yeah. Battlefield yeah. and Arma, basically the uh, simulators. But oh, uh, Battlefield, I wouldn't consider it. No, no, but Battlefield is not a simulator, but a simulator Arma than Call of Duty. <laughs> well, Arma would be though. No, Arma no. is really a simulator. Yeah, so, okay. but if you're Call of Duty and you're you're trying to speculate. Uh, the unfolding of historical events, and that's a historical game. Uh, especially since they're not starting from the present and then just trying to anticipate the future, but they start in the near past and then try to develop from there. I mean, they, they invented some things, but you could tell that it's the backdrop of a conflict you've seen before. So what about this new game coming out, Advanced Warfare? Ah, that's not historical. Uh, because they don't it, have any histor- you feel there's no historical base whatsoever because it's too far. Because it's future. yeah, it's speculative already. It's more sci-fi, more futuristic than it is so, historical. So oh, okay. that basically there's no historical base. No historical all. base at all. Uh, you could say it's speculative, but because it's not rooted in any particular modern or near modern or past event, you can't say it's historical because there's no connection to history as it's unfolding now. Hmm. So it's purely specu- uh, speculative. It's uh, yeah, it's a sci-fi futuristic game. Okay, so historical games, Jenny, you can't go past that far beyond the modern time. Once it goes back, it becomes purely speculative in that sense. It has to be rooted somehow in history as it unfolded. History as you think it's unfolding. Or history as it's experienced. It has to be somehow connected to our experience of history, yeah. Alright. So going to that one, is there any point of history that you see as completely downplayed or ignored that maybe game developers should look into? Uh, maybe not so much what period of history, but where. Uh, 
But yeah, I mean, uh, there there are no historical games about tribal eras, uh, pre- Age of Empires, yeah, pre-modern eras, pre-modern. Yeah, era. but Age of Empires is barely touched on it. You but never really dwelled on it, like uh, the formation of tribes, the the uh, the initial skirmishes between tribes, the formation of the first societies and nations. Okay. I mean, people would argue that games like uh, si- like some of the Civ games which are in ancient times or even Age of Empires or even... Uh, gosh, it says in Age of Empires, Clone, I forgot which one it was. They start in uh, ancient periods. And you could actually set the game to stay in that period. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're not... Because of the nature of the, those games, they don't really stay in depth in that period. You have to advance. They also keep advancing, but... Uh, imagine uh, a total war set in that era. You just dwell in total that war. Era. Zulu, yeah, or uh, total war. Clan of the Cave Bear. <laughs> <laughs> I would so play that one. <laughs> so hoof of the mammoth. Uh, I'd like to see the advisors. You know, the Civ Five advice, like Civ style advisors for like games like that. Throg of Throg of Empire says he, he must do this. <laughs> Your economic advice says we need more stone. Gurak of the yeah. Gurak of the mammoth says hunt more mammoths. And what's he? A food specialist. <laughs> we need more food. Is there food? Yes. Okay, we're fine. Is there no food? Yes. What do you advise, sir? Hunt more. <laughs> uh, what other eras are neglected? Oh yes, many of the uh, many of the pre-modern eras are often neglected. Uh, uh, before, I think the the Crimean War. Uh, the Russian wars at the at the frontiers of Europe tend to be ignored until I saw a spate of uh, free Steam games delving into that period. Mostly taken off uh, cheap Total War engine knockoffs. <laughs> mm. uh, I think one was called Real War twelve fifty one something. <laughs> so I remember, like uh, when I was younger, one of the first like uh, historical-ish games I played that touched the part of history I did not really ever see on the game was uh, actually a mod for Half-Life, which brought you back to the Civil War. Actually, uh, which Civil War? American? American Civil War. Uh. It was uh, interesting just because the first time I saw while well, muskets being used, and these muskets were actually true to life in the sense that if you want a certain distance, they would not hit anything. And this is a game I quickly learned that it's horrible to play by yourself if you need a team. <laughs> If you want to volley fire, okay, you got volley fire by yourself apparently. Yeah, not the smartest thing. Yeah, it, yeah. it'll hit something, just not your enemy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, other other uh, eras that are tend to be neglected. Mm, the the Russo-Japanese War, for example. Oh yeah, actually, most uh, people didn't know about the Russo-Japanese mm, War, or they the, thought you know the war when the Russians that were done with Berlin, they just stopped there. Mm, mm. They forget that the Americans and the Russians were racing to Tokyo. Mm. Hmm. Then there yes. was the uh, the various colonial wars. Uh, for example, the, the Zulus against the British, uh, the various campaigns to win again to win over the Indian subcontinent. Although uh, you can say that ah, the, these games be, they'll probably be heavily imbalanced, but you'd be surprised. I'll take, for example, uh, uh, Spanish conquistadors. That that is a neglect, uh, neglected period. I mean, it's touched on briefly in games like uh, Age of Empires. Uh, oh wait, not Age of was it Age of Empires? Age of Empires had conquistadors. Yeah, Age of Empires okay. uh, and mm-hmm. uh, Civ. But not really in depth. 
Why do you think no one really touches on these topics? Do you think it's because we can't relate to it? Or do you feel it's imbalanced or it might be a more political reason? Because oh, there are some games I've seen where it's not touched on purely because of politics or sensibilities. Yeah, I think it's politics, the, the colonial thing. I, I think that's mostly yeah, because of academia. Oh, yeah. My bad. Uh, there was a, mo- a Total War expansion pack that dealt with the uh, Spanish conquista. Uh, uh, conquista of Mexico, yeah. Uh, you played uh, either Cortez or one of the Aztec uh, rulers. That, that was pretty good. But uh, African colonial wars, nobody wants to touch that. Uh, hmm. I mean, even like Civ Five, where uh, Hitler was not actually a choice among the German uh, heads of state. I think it was only Bismarck. And there are certain other characters. That, I mean, they had Genghis Khan there. They had the... Oh, gosh, I forgot. The, Who was America? This uh, George Washington. Okay, because I remember it was Lincoln back in the day. Mm-hmm. Well, but then they seem to avoid these things simply because it's purely pol- political or there's some element of that although in the case of Civ I think it's because you could only really pick one leader and there are many there are many great leaders who could claim to be uh, the quintessential German leader I mean it was just Bismarck uh, it could have been Charlemagne it could have been Barbarossa it could have been like for Russia they didn't even have uh, they had uh, what's your name Catherine the Great Catherine the Great yeah, I was been... actually expecting someone maybe Stalin's level or Stalin or well, actually Lenin might have been instinct or maybe the one of the last Romanovs or no, one I, of the czars I think, I think uh, they sh- it should have been Peter the Great not Catherine oh. the Great uh, so and in, in, in case of Civ, yeah, they just there's simply a glut. Some civilizations simply have a glut of leaders to choose from, and they chose they chose who they thought was the most iconic. The argument for Bismarck over Hitler is actually pretty good. Yes, hmm. Bismarck made modern Germany. Hitler destroyed modern Germany. <laughs> Be- basically, Bismarck ter- be- turned Prussia and those surrounding. Those surrounding he, areas he, into Germany. Yeah, he forged Prussia and dozens of tiny German states into an actual German nation, a new superpower at the heart of Europe. So, Bismarck over Hitler is actually seems yeah, like that a makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. With the Greeks, Alexander the Great. I guess you know when it comes to Greeks, that's really the only one they remember immediately. Actually, yeah, but Alexander the Great wasn't Greek. He was Macedonian. Yeah, well, Napoleon wasn't French. <laughs> no, but uh, the difference is Napoleon. And if they say Napoleon's under the French leadership. But Napoleon is uh, uh, registered under under a French birth registry because Corsica had been acquired and he spoke French. But Alexander did not even like the Greeks. He tried to smash them. Napoleon tried to be French. <laughs> if I'm if I'm correct, uh, Alexander never really integrated with the Greeks. He loved Greek culture. No, uh, well, I mean integrated with the Greek nation. No, no, he didn't want to be part of a Greek city state. Like he didn't he didn't want anything to do with Athens or Sparta. But the culture he appreciated. The Hellenic culture he 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 appreciated and he transported. Okay. So, but if you're Greek, you could argue for. Uh, the commander at Salamis. Uh, you could argue for. You could argue for Leonidas because Sparta is Greek. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sparta is Greece. So since we talked about the the niche of it, where do you think what genre do you think this niche fits best in? I most enjoyed it in grand strategy games like so the god games per se. Yeah, you see like, the over. 
Europa all thing happening. Europa Universalis, Crusader uh-huh. Kings 2, uh, Total War. Crusader Kings 2 was particularly great because it combined a grand strategy so you to expand your empire or survive at the very least. Actually, the goal of it was not to conquer everything. It was to survive to a certain time period because if your heir died, yeah, you're dead. So would you ever say that these games would be educational in nature or would you take yeah. anything you learn from it with a pound of salt? Uh, you, you take what you learn from it with a pound of, with a, with a grain of salt, but you could also be educated about about the time period, about uh, how politics worked, how, how weapons worked. So would you say that certain jo- that certain games, histor- certain historical games would be able to impart more knowledge depending on their genre? Um, each genre can in its own way. Okay. Because uh, so you, were, you were a teacher before and you actually did handle a historical class. I, mean, I remember you in Civ 103. Uh, have you ever had a student quote a video game? Yeah, yeah. He quoted Total War. I was stupid because <laughs> what the bonuses okay. the bonuses while they add there for the gameplay they don't really reflect the historical reality you have to translate it uh, sure uh, you, so, the paper said that something about a cavalry bonus for the Gauls um, that's meaningless uh, why, but why would the, you could just explain to me why the Gauls had an advantage in cavalry uh, so yeah so okay. there, you, there's some data that can be misleading if you don't know how to use it but if you know how to look at history there's some things you'll appreciate like I was talking about Crusader Kings 2 earlier it, it, what I loved about it was that it combined that grand vision thing with a very personal look at how dynastic families worked um, okay yeah you had your you could really be in love with your wife or your wife could be a shrew but you, or, you had to work together because you have to, have to preserve the empire yeah yeah uh, and then you you also could end up in situations where your son is a, your son is a hunchback, and your son is a hunchback. And also, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna how are we gonna marry off our son so that he'll have children who will inherit the empire with the power of gold? Actually, yeah, gold, or you could beat a nation to submission until they give their daughter. Yeah. So basic. So brute force or gold? Yeah. Yeah, could you could always be- try your charm, but you know. I don't know. Could it ever be that I you could he use has a, a winning personality? <laughs> could it ever be that you could use a mixture of gold and brute force? It's always a mixture. Never truly just one. In the, like in these games. Yeah. Okay. How, for how things, you, it's you, never a one route at all because yeah, you got to mix it up. I know, but I know it's just that it it's just that like um when I see game when I see a number of games, I like when I try to think of them mechanically, I could see how you could go purely into one thing. Mm. But so far, what you got from historical games is one of the mm. key things about it is really total immersion, be it from an RTS standpoint, a t- a turn based a TBS standpoint, a FPS, a RPG, and such. Immersion seems the most important. I mean, the historical part hmm. shouldn't be more than just a you know, a setting. It should something be reflective of the time period and well correct. And the immersion part being, as like you said, you should feel like you're living in it. And the less immersive it is, less points of disbelief may pop out. Be it uh, inaccurate use of weaponry, inaccurate use of like certain castles or whatever. Hmm. That's essentially what would take up away from historical game more than anything else. Uh. Well, it's not, it's, the immersion is definitely important, hmm. but as I said, as I said, the key is the the combination of immersion and gameplay. Uh, if you're detail correct, 
but you can't really move in it. You can't really have agency in it because the gameplay sucks. Uh, sort of the exp- something in the experience is lost. I mean, you might as well just watch a documentary. Okay. Uh, so tell us what you think in the comments about historical games. Is there any historical game you might enjoy? Yo, uh, give us a like, give us a share, and check out the other shows on channel14.com, such as Third World Linux, the Sunstar Podcast, Bodega uh, Nights. the new Gritty Bodega Nights, and check out the other shows in TWG. got to this point this is the off-tangent section yay yay differences we'll probably still talk about historical stuff <laughs> i see this one they've always played on historical things do you think historical would ever worked with the racing like racing genres like you know you have char- chariot racing well it'll be very very uh specific like you're not you're not jumping ears here uh <laughs> chariot racing sure uh would you play that like a chariot racer chariot kart 64 I- i'm not a racing <laughs> I'm not a racing game fan. Uh, a, if, it, if it was a side game, sure. I mean, there were there were races in Red Dead Redemption that I could I could tolerate, like you know, kart racing, you know, horse racing. Uh, it depends. If it's your thing, sure. Uh, I wa- I w- I'd wonder how you'd manage to control each of the individual horses. Oh, uh, you, you could. Uh, it was just one. It was just one rain. Yeah. And uh, okay, one horse. Not I'd love to see that. Like, no, a Need for Speed S thing where you like bring up the chart. Chariot you can go 3D. Okay, I want to upgrade the spokes, upgrade the horse, change the feed. <laughs> okay. Oh no, man, that's one thing that I've always kind of. It's a weird thing I've always kind of waited for, like a weird historical racing game to pop out. So okay, wh- okay, well, in that scenario you brought up, Miko, I'm just gonna say that you should make your chariot full gold. Or imagine a twisted metal style, like a destruction derby style chariot race. That's not in a coliseum. It's something you know. Remember, like Crazy Taxi. Yes. Like that weird, like whimsicalness. Then you throw in chariots, and you throw in a racing mechanic or like a fighting mechanic. Actually, uh, a good surprise, a good simulator of that kind of thing. Like you, know, you breed your animal, then you race your animal. Hmm. Is uh, Final Fantasy Seven. Oh yeah, Chocobo. Yeah, Chocobo racing. Except that, of course, Chocobo. you have to feed more than a particular colored bit of weed to your animal to get it to uh, race better. What I can't forget about the Chocobo thing was, well, I mean, I, I love Final Fantasy VII. I played it way, probably far, far more than Minecraft, which is saying a lot. Uh, really now? You know the secret of Chocobo racing? What? Incest. A lot, a lot of Chocobo incest, apparently. <laughs> isn't that also the secret? Isn't that also the secret to some pure breeds? Yeah, which kind of like uh, kind of messed with me for a while because as a kid it didn't mean anything but now reflecting on it are these weird super chocobo you know the source of genetic problems? Well, you only needed one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, the man brings a good point. The golden chocobo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that golden chocobo I mean, it never made sense to me as a kid but looking back at it how did this chocobo that run over oceans yeah. over, built, over mountains but anyway, I just accepted it. Maybe it's because of all that incest. I mean... <laughs> The Egyptians believed something like that. Uh, their rulers were always brother and sister married to each other. And, <laughs> yeah, unless one of them died, you had to get an outsider. But it's oh, all in yeah, This is a strange thing, the historical yeah. stuff. But guys, uh, oh no, would you play it? Paolo, what do you think is the weirdest historical thing you could think of? Weirdest historical thing? Like a mashup for genres. 
Mashup for genres, right? Okay. Huh. I so hope someone makes to you know super chariot racing Roman Empire. <laughs> Red versus blue. <laughs> yeah, I feel, yeah, seriously, yeah. That's the rivalry that shook the Byzantine Empire. Team Red versus Team Blue, or it's a Team Green. So they, <laughs> instead of being able to show their disaffection for the Byzantine Emperor, they just rioted and fought each other. <laughs> <laughs> Yubal, what do you think would be a really weird mix of things? I don't know. Mo- most of the ones I'd like to see are actually pretty, actually pretty, are pretty um, st- standard for as far as things I'd like to see. But um, I could get back to you on that, or I, uh, I'll get back to you on that. Yeah. Oh, uh, so I made sense. You'd go uh, ever watch Game Theory? Yeah, you know. So, uh yeah, I do. Except that I find the the guy annoying. Oh, Matt Pat. Oh, Matt Pat's fun. <laughs> oh wait. I mean, yeah. Uh, sometimes in small doses, he's fun, but he has a whiny voice that makes you want to punch him. Uh, <laughs> and some of his theories are not that well researched. Some of the few that I've seen, but generally, at least you know, there's somebody they're thinking about games. Well, there's one. There's oh, one. Uh, I can one. Bring up where Clash of the Clans, where they kind of. Oh, is this Clash of Clans yeah, or something else he did? Uh, yeah, some Roman uh, Empire simulator. Yeah, uh, he was trying to use Roman tactics, Roman urban planning. But he also like related to actual like uh, top players who did similar things. Mm. Not maybe not because of actual you know Roman things, but they just thought this worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you find that to be? So, how do you find that one when they people start using historical tactics in games? Oh, that's good. That's good. It, it's uh, an increase in historical education. I think it's a good thing. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think I have an idea for a game. For a game, you are uh, you are a mi- you are a minstrel, a minstrel or a bard or a poet. Oh, uh, rock band Middle England. <laughs> <laughs> So you have like a, you have like a toy uh, minstrel, uh, a toy uh, mandolin, and you have to press the button. Yeah, but before that, you have to make all the, you have to make your, you have to make your song, your ballad. Who's gonna judge it if it's any good? <laughs> I don't know. You could like, you could Game make has an, an algorithm. You you could we make do not anything. Matter algorithm. We don't like your you, your form uh, of creativity. Like, you could make any to like make things we like. Like basically make anything you want, but there's also the chance that your that your ballad could also get you executed. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's a whole new level of guitar hero. <laughs> or it could actually gain you favor with the king or something like that. Actually, an interesting game, an interesting uh, sort of historical game. Because it is, it does point a period in history. I think uh, that's not only ignored; it, it it's a dynamic that's rarely ever explored. It's, uh, that game, Papers Please. Papers Please. Hmm. Oh, Papers. Well, I know Papers Please. Is something that I would argue w- whether or not it's a game hmm. because it feels more like an interactive, like a uh, piece of. Well, I mean, games are interactive media, hmm. but this one feels like one of those indie films that you're just you know part of, like some sort of immersive art form versus it being a game. Okay. Because there's no real no high score. There's just no real no major goal to this besides you know you have to have enough money to feed your family or you know you're dead. Hmm. Yeah, but it, uh, is there a, is there a way is there a way to lose? Yeah, many many ways to lose. <laughs> is, is there a way to win? No, you but, need just do well, a little better thing, every well, single time. To be fair, one to be fair, a way like Tetris, to, but Tetris has a sort of ending to it. Well, to be fair, a way to lose is and snake. To be fair, a way to lose, a way to lose, or basically halt your halt your progress in a way that is similar to loss seems to be an important part of 
what makes a game or what doesn't. I mean, being able to lose and win. Some games, then they're impossible to lose or next to impossible to lose. Yeah, but I'm also saying that uh, that uh, being your basically your progress being halted feels like a loss essentially. But papers, please. Well, yeah, it's a very easy aspect, and it's something I think people wouldn't touch much because maybe it's that political thing where it seems a little. And uh, actually, this you go into at this point, considering how long it's been since the Soviet Union fell. Uh, I don't think it's so much as, so much political anymore as it is uh, just have a hard time trying to make it exciting. Hmm. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, there are some so, pairs that seem are very hard to make exciting, yeah. though there are good twists to it. Mm. I mean, like you showed the pirate games. Uh, pirate games are something people think it should be simple to do, mm. but actually can be very, very easy to make wrong. Mm. Yeah. Wait, has anyone actually made a pr- uh, made a game where you tried to like simulate the organization and creation and movement of a protest? Protest simulator? Um, <laughs> uh, no. Okay. I guess if you bring the Gauls or the fanatics into Rome, I guess that's as close as you can get. <laughs> well, or, or or basically the formation of a conspiracy or a revolution. Oh, I said like the game Occupy One Hundred One. Just perfect a, protest. Just cause could have been that, but. And it turned into Saints Row Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, the original Just Cause sort of felt like that. But Just Cause 2, yeah, it was Saints Row Cuba. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> mm, but you can't actually, that would make, that would make a good idea. Uh, you could play as either a uh, faction for Mending Revolution, or you could be uh, like a chief of security right, to suppress them. Hmm. Fire into the crowd! Ah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Fire into the crowd! Oh no! Your meat, your the meat is coming in. They're making you look bad. Kill the media! <laughs> kill, kill the media and and, and do mass Next censorship! Oh no! They now have social media set by people. You cannot attack the media anymore. Kill the internet! <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Use <laughs> jammer. <laughs> that would be such an amusing game in its own weird way. Yeah. If you want to be, you know, the super like uh, the big brother. Yeah, big brother, the big brother, or the tyrant, or you know, just going to like no peaceful, the democ- peaceful tactics of just negotiating with them. Okay, what do you want? No, we cannot give you that. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to step down. No, <laughs> I, mean, I can imagine that like as, as I can somehow imagine that as a weird Maxis game. You know, when the program Sim City was originally it says the city planning. Okay, I can sort of imagine that. Okay, we now have Occupy One on One. Will you get your rights? Will you get what you want? Or will? Or will everything go to sh- go to? Oh yeah, actually, yeah. That's another genre that has historical games. Uh, city planning, uh, like Stronghold, is a city planner game, a stronghold planner game, <laughs> and uh, there are various like various Roman Empire games that are city planners, like Imperium Romanum. I think is a city planner. Hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's silly. You could zoom down to the house and see the family enjoying itself. And, you know, They're so happy. Crush them all. <laughs> Instead of a uh, whirlwind or storming, barbarian invasion. <laughs> I say one thing. That's, uh, have, you, uh, have you ever tried those games that are generally supposed to be peaceful in nature, but somehow you're able to make it horrible? Like, like SimCity. I mean, yes. SimCity, like, oh, you no know, city planning, nice, nice. Now send in the UFO. Send in the dinosaur that breathes fire. Yeah, yeah. I have not played that expansion. Uh, it was a newer SimCity that had that. Met Godzilla. <laughs> yes, yes, it had. And yeah, so much weird things. Oh yeah, so you guys know we're up in the mountains right now. It's pretty. <laughs> it's a mountain, <laughs> and that is all. <laughs> Stop. <laughs>